Kayla Gray is an award-winning journalist who is currently an anchor for SportsCenter on Canada's leading sports network, TSN. When she made her debut on SportsCenter in 2018, Gray became the first Black woman to ever host a flagship sports highlight show in Canada. Among her career highlights, Gray was ETOX correspondent for season seven of The Amazing Race Canada and hosted her own show, The Amazing Race Canada, The Ride Along, which was an in-depth travel series that followed the race throughout the country. She has made numerous appearances on shows such as The Social, The Marilyn Dennis Show, CP24 Breakfast, and eTalk. Sit back as this unapologetic trailblazer takes us on her journey. Growing up, I always wanted to see more people who looked like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Hello, Kayla. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for letting me into your classrooms, homes, wherever you are. Appreciate it. (laughs) We appreciate you taking the time to share space with us. So I would love for you to tell our viewers your journey into becoming a sports anchor. Yeah, uh, it's quite a long journey. So we'll start off with how I kind of fell into loving sports broadcasting. And that came at a very like young age. Um, I'd spend, you know, after school with my grandparents and my grandmother would watch Blue Jays games on the television while my grandfather would listen to the exact same game at the exact same time um, on the radio. And so like the fusion of that was really interesting to me. And that's how I like fell into it. I was also pretty athletic in high school, even though I wasn't that good. Um, But, you know, that sort of was what drove me to this industry. And, um, you know, I had went to the College of Sports Media, uh, which was a two-year program. And so, you know, my first job out of there was moving to Winnipeg, little Scarborough girl picking up her life and dropping to a space that I had no idea about. Um, And then moving further northwest to uh, British Columbia, Prince Rupert, B.C., um, where like deers would be like running through the the road. It was such an incredible experience for me to get that out of city experience and to like build that way. Um, And then, yeah, next thing I know, I'm getting a call to come back to TSN. Um, as a radio producer. So that's actually how I got into the building as I was producing radio. I wasn't even on air. And then I kind of moved my way up at the time to become an update anchor. So I was sort of coming on the air every half hour and giving you your score updates. Um, From there, I would get into Raptors. Um, I was doing stuff with TSN.ca, our digital side, um, reporting on the opponents that would come in. 
because I felt like we weren't talking about the opponent, the opposing teams that were coming in. And I was like, well, if you're a friend of the Raptors at the time, you're a fan of the league. Um, and so I kind of worked my way in that way. And then eventually made my big debut on SportsCenter, where I became the first Black woman to host a sports highlight show nationally. Um, and sort of ever since, my career has just sort of been building and and I've hopefully and thankfully been growing. Um, but yeah, that's just sort of like a bit of the shorter of the long of like how I came to be at TSN. What was your journey through school like? I had the most untraditional journey through school because I was uh, I was living on my own at 15 um, after just some really hard times at home um, and not to the fault of my parents. It was more so me as a 15 year old looking back, trying to find her way, not very good at expressing herself um, and expressing herself through like ways that weren't so healthy for myself or my family. Um, and so, you know, there was friction at home. And so, you know, we thought it'd be the best idea for me to move out. And so I was moved, I moved out at 15 years old. Um, and I skipped a ton of school because of course I had to help ends meet. I had to eat. Um, so I was working at Mex at the time. Um, but you know, I was going through traditional school up until high school until I had gotten kicked out. And then I went to another high school. I still was trying to make ends meet, trying to figure things out, but it wasn't working out for me. Um, and then I had to go to sort of an alternative route, um, where I could finally get all my credits. And then from there, I went to an adult learning center, um, where I could update all my credits and marks, and then finally get to a place where I could apply to the universities and colleges that I dreamt of way before. Um, and I think that's very important that I share that because not everybody has a traditional path, but that does not mean that their narrative is written out for them. That does not mean that the ending is already set in place. For me, all of these different ways and venues and kind of going through things the non-traditional way still shaped me to be the person that I am, still gave me that confidence, still gave me that resilience. In fact, my best experiences in school were at an alternative school, were at an adult learning center because there was a level of care there from the teachers that I had not really gotten or received um, and understanding too that I was going through some things and I had to kind of be an adult in situations that I kind of was not old enough to be in. And when you kind of approach your students with empathy um, and understanding, that changed the trajectory and projection of the relationship that you have between student and, and adult in the room. Um, and that dramatically changed the way that I viewed education. Um, the way that I viewed myself moving forward and the way that I viewed what I could do um, in my lifetime moving forward and encouraged and pushed me. Where did you find the motivation or inspiration at such a young age to continue to persevere? Oh, um, remembering what 13 cents looked like in my bank account, um, knowing what it is to be broke and knowing what it is to kind of feel as though you have nothing. Um, on your own to feel as though you, you know, life at some point, like in, you know, my high school time, at some point, rock bottom hit and life at that point was not worth living for me. Um, and to kind of remember what those low points were like. And in the in your mind, feeling as though you never, ever want to revisit that ever again in your life. Um, that motivates me. 
waking up every morning and choosing to live and choosing to still stay the course and choosing to show up as your best, that keeps me going. Um, and it has kept me going for many, many years. Um, just sort of feeling like I can't let myself down. I, I can't let myself down. There's been so many times where I've been like, man, like, this is it. Like, this is the worst it's been. But then like the next day, there's some random GSD check that shows up in your account or some random opportunity that comes up or some random coincidence. And it was just, I feel like life's way of being like, it's not it. There's always another option. There is always a way. There is always um, something that can not so much show up in the ways that you ask for, but can pivot you in a direction that you never, ever dreamed of. I think that that's also important. What does the day of an anchor look like, a sports anchor? Oh my gosh, day. Day is a stretch because we don't start work during the day. This is why these untraditional hours work for someone like me, um, because my day actually starts at around eight o'clock at night. Um, And so because of COVID protocols and I have a little one, I kind of save time by doing my makeup at home. Um, And so I do that. I head into work at around 930 And that's where we then see the prep, um, what the lineup looks like for our sports center show. So I'm basically writing scripts for myself on cams, researching the fun part, watching games, reacting to them as they happen. Um, But then we kind of liked camera action at one in the morning. And why it's at one in the morning is because we're on the East Coast and we have to account for all the, those late games that some people some people on this uh, might stay up for. We have to wait until all of those are done before we can package a full show to make sure that we're told the full story in sports. Um, so usually I'm getting out of work to 2.30. Um, and so, yeah, that that's sort of what a day in the life looks like when it comes to like covering Raptors games. It's a little bit different. Um, obviously, in these COVID times, a lot of the media availability, a lot of the chances that we get to speak to coaches or to players is over Zoom. But before then, it would kind of look like we'd be at practices and shoot around and pregame and postgame. So they seem like long days. But man, once that story comes together, they're so worth it. And people look at people on TV and they're like, I'd love to do that. It's so glorious that <laughs> you start at 8 p.m. and finish at 2.30 a.m. The only reason why it looks glorious is because we have makeup on. Let's not be fooled. It's not easy to fully show up as yourself 100% authentically to a country night in, night out um, to kind of for myself being a black woman having the scrutiny, having the racist comments hurled at you. Um, You know, some people say like, well, that's part of the job. And it's like, no, it's not. That's literally not in my contract that I signed. Um, But these are things that, you know, are are very uh, present in the industry. Um, And so for me, like I always joke, people are like, oh, my God, all she does is read a prompter. I'm like, there's so much else that goes into it. There's a level of preparedness that you have to be. Um, You have to just know what you're talking about. And in order to do that, you need to be researching around the clock. You need to be paying attention. You need to be watching games. You need to be reading as many articles as you can. Like it's not the easiest job in the world. And, And sometimes it does take a mental toll because like you said, we are not working the same hours that 
that, you know, a regular person for, who works a nine to five would be working. Um, I also have a son who is two years old, going to be three soon, but like accounting for his schedule um, and the amount of uh, times that I was not able to put him to bed because I had to be off to work. So sometimes there's a little bit of sacrifice that comes with it. And it's not to say that we do what frontline workers are doing, um, but there are some things that, that you do have to give up in order to live the life that we do. What would you say your biggest accomplishment has been to date? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. Girl, you've uh, accomplished a lot. <laughs> there's been a few, I guess. Um, I think cool moments we'll go with. Uh, one was covering the Toronto Raptors uh, during their championship run. That was so much fun because I've grown up with the team. I love the team. Um and just sort of never thinking that someone like me could even kind of be in this space because there is so few black people in this space and especially in Canada. Um, but being able to cover, being able to, you know, show up fully as myself in that moment, the championship parade was amazing because what was happening is we planned for a three hour broadcast and it ended up being eight and a half hours because there were so many people downtown. And as I was up on the bus, what was beautiful was I was looking into the crowd and I was seeing people that I had grown up with. I was seeing kids that I played, you know, basketball, bump, all those games at West Scarborough Boys and Girls Club with. Um, and that to me was like, wow, like full circle moment that like this little girl who could have never imagined that this would be her life, her dream um, being realized is here. And she's doing it and she's representing and she's not only doing that, but she's doing it in her city. Um, so that I think was great. Another cool moment for me was being able to cover the Amazing Race Canada. Um, and so what that did was it brought me to different provinces and territories um, in like 19 days. I think we went on like 20 plus flights. Um, and so that was such a cool experience because I think also a very important conversation that needs to be had post pandemic is um, black people's visibility when it comes to travel. Um, and especially when it comes to domestic travel in our country. Um, I think it is so important. It's so important to see ourselves kind of taking up space and getting used to and seeing different environments because we do do that, but we don't see ourselves on say, um, you know, certain like hiking magazines or certain travel magazines. We don't see ourselves in those spaces. So for me to kind of take up space um, and covering that show, I think was really important. Looking to consolidate your debt? In the market to purchase your first home? Interested in acquiring an investment property? Look no further. More Freedom is here to serve you. We aim to furnish our clients with the power and the confidence over their finances and a sense of accomplishment of taking the first step to get there. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Want More Freedom. And you can always connect with us via our website at morefreedom.ca. How do you handle being sometimes the only Black woman in a space and being authentically yourself? How do you deal with that? It's hard, right? Because I'm not going to sit here and lie. Um, when you first come into this industry as an only, there's this incredible amount of anxiety and pressure that comes with it. And it's pressure that doesn't stay at work. 
certain people can have issues and they leave them within the confines of the hours that they work. But for me, I was taking a lot of things home. And what I was taking home was if I messed up on air, like a normal human being, like if I were to like trip up on a word, like that always happens with people, or if I were to say the wrong thing or mispronounce or this, that, and the third, there was this immense fear that I would get fired because no one like me was taking up that that spot at the time. And I'm like, well, damn. But I think the biggest fear for me was if I were to get fired, I would have ruined the chance of other people that look like me to come in. And that is a huge pressure. I think that black women, black people face when they are kind of the one in the few in the room is they feel like when they come in, they're coming in with a whole community behind them. Um, And it's not to say that the community is putting pressure on them, but it's the pressures that we've kind of conditioned to believe for ourselves. Um, So that's challenging. But how I do sort of, you know, act that out is just by showing up as me authentically and speaking the way that I want to speak, uh, dressing the way that I want to dress, wearing my hair the way that I want want to wear. Because I think once we start normalizing all that stuff, then we can get to a place where other black people can feel as confident and as comfortable to show up as themselves as well. Because us being us, that's not problematic. There is nothing wrong with how we talk, how we dress, how we look. That is a them problem, not an us problem. And so if I'm adjusting who I am to make other people feel comfortable with me being in the room, there's something wrong with that. And so that's what I'm trying to fight against now. And I would say in the last year, you've definitely found your voice in Mm -hmm. being very uncut with how you feel. How has that been received on the other side? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, if you know, you know me, you know, I've had like I've always had this this in me. I've never I would, you know, say that if you look at some of my tweets now, they're the exact same tweets that I tweeted out a couple of years ago. But. Um, they were less received. They were less well received. Right. Um, Because now it feels like since this past summer, the murder of George Floyd, oddly, people realize that racism is a thing and it exists, which is uh, very interesting. Um, But I would say that maybe the volume on my voice has changed or also maybe the audience that's more receptive to it has gone a lot bigger. Um, And so for me, I, I don't take that lightly. Because I do think that with the platform that I have, it's incredibly important to use the tools that I've been given um, to help spread awareness, to help um, debunk certain things, to help break down certain structures. Um, But it's also equally as important for me and what I'm trying to kind of mold out of um, to do the work offline. Um, You know, usually I'm I'm a solutions first, problems last person. Um, so usually the things that you hear me talking about or tweeting about or speaking out about, I've likely had the solutions conversation offline and I've always kind of been that way. That's all, that's how I tried to continue to be because truly, you know, a tweet can only last so long or it can only stay so relevant or your, your video or your post can only stay so relevant so long. Right. But what can be long lasting is what change you influence behind the scenes. Um, And so that to me is why I I try to keep that fine balance. Um, The way that it's been received, some people don't like me. 
I could probably argue a lot of people might not like me or what might not like what I have to say because it makes them uncomfortable or it might highlight sort of who they are truly at the core. And, you know, sometimes it can get scary. I have had threats uh, sent to me over on, online, threats sent to my workspace, um, but that doesn't mean that I stop. I've watched people that look like me lose my lose, lose their lives, right? And so for me, I'm like, I'm still here. So while I'm here, I'm going to use this voice to affect whatever change I feel like is necessary in order to push my people forward. What advice would you have for a younger person to get that comfortable in their skin so that they can activate their voice? Yeah, it's about being real with yourself, but also like there's two balance, there's a balance here, right? What we all experienced as Black people this past summer was very traumatic. And I would argue that a lot of us might not have even spent any time really truly dealing with that trauma, um, really truly dealing with the mental toll that it has taken because we've kind of been in this go, go, go mode of, for me, example, for example, um, everyone decided to find my number since this past summer to be like, hey, you're black. Can you speak on all these black issues? And so you're all of a sudden busy. Your non-Black friends are calling you, asking you, am I racist? Or can you explain this? And so there's the toll in that way. Um, and then you're expected to kind of just still keep going without taking a mental pause to check in, to be like, Kayla, how do you feel? And so for me, I always say, fight for your peace first and foremost. Take on what you can and cannot take on. You will deal with when you can, um, you know, and there is nothing wrong with that because I think for far too long as Black people, we have sort of put our mental health to the side. Um, and and it is, you know, a sort of a sacrifice to kind of push our messaging forward um, to keep moving forward. We have to kind of deal with the mental a little bit later. Um, but I, I would argue that we kind of need both. We need to be here in order to fight for us being here, right? And that means taking care of ourselves mentally and prioritizing ourselves. It's a radical act as Black people to say no to things. It's a radical act as Black people to find solace and joy and finding our joy in, in that too. Um, but another thing I would say is take confidence in the fact that you are probably the smartest people in the room right now. There has been this uprise I found in terms of the movement with younger people younger people, those in the younger generation of being able to deliver their information, um, their teachings, their learnings through such creative ways that we could never have done. And I'm not even that old, but I'm saying, say, TikTok for PSAs, um, Instagram, how they've just been able to be using uh, their social cha channels to really raise awareness for things is just incredible and something to be so proud of. I learn every day um, from young adults about sort of what I need to be doing, um, how my work when it comes to advocating for marginalized communities needs to be intersectional. Um, you know, I learn so much in daily. So I say like, you're likely the smartest person in the room because of all the information you are so privy to, but also the ways in which you can share your information. So kind of do it to your liking, be, make it authentic to you. There is no right way of doing this. Um, so when it comes to kind of coming up with a strategy or a know-how, you have all the tools and lean on that. Wow, Kayla, thank you so much for your work that you're Aww. doing. I could feel your energy and how passionate you are about it. And that is unfortunately sometimes rare 
that mm. we have people that step forward and they're genuinely interested in being part of change and not talking about it, but actually taking the action right. to get it done. Do you believe that you've tapped into your authentic self? Oh, gosh. Yeah, for the second, if that makes sense. I think that um, I'm learning to not get tied to Kayla in the moment. And, and I say that to say there is an understanding that this Kayla is going to evolve. And I think that's what I've tapped into is that understanding in that trust in that trust that I will grow, in that trust that I will learn, in that trust that I will make mistakes. Um, that I think is who I've tapped into is the, the journey as opposed to the destination, which I think I was very obsessed with at a point. And I mean that honestly, I was obsessed with um, reaching certain goals of making a certain amount of money, of having my life look a certain way. And you just have to sort of shed that and let that go. And so I think what's authentic to me is the embracing of journey, the embracing of falling, but the embracing of standing up as well. And, and I think I've become a lot more comfortable with that. What would Tell us about a time that you felt like you didn't want to be in this industry to, anymore. It was just too oh much for you. This time comes up quite often. I'll be very honest with you. Um, I think when I first started out, when I had first gotten uh, my kind of break into the industry at Winnipeg, um, I was uh, basically lied to about the position that I'd taken. So they had sold me on one job. And when I showed up, I was doing another. And I had the audacity, and I say that sarcastically, to go to my boss at the time and get clarity on what the role was. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Kayla, someone that looks like you should be lucky that you even have a job. And I just remember being like, is this what this industry is? Is this what it is? I mean, I heard about it, kind of heard whispers about it, but oh, this truly is it at its core. And uh, I had to make the decision. Do you stay? Do you stick it out? Or do you do you go? Do you leave? Do you do you risk the fact that you might be blacklisted in this industry and never make it back in? Um, and I made the decision to to quit the job and to find another one. But there's so many people that have come before me that have had these same experiences and never got a second chance, never got a chance to to fully show up in workspaces and newsrooms as themselves. So, I mean, I won't be, I won't lie. There's been multiple times where I'm like, what am I even doing this for? If I met with racism, with sexism, is this worth it? Um, but I think there's always moments, like I mentioned at the start of this, where life shows you, yes, there is, there, there is purpose. And I think this last year for sure has shown me that there is, there's a reason why, and it's bigger than you. Do you believe that you have found your purpose? Yes, one of them. Uh, I think to me, uh, because there was that time where I was by myself, there was this yearning for community. Um, and so I think I've always longed and looked for it, not understanding that community can be something that you create and it can be created in your industry. And so for me, um, that is something that I'm hoping to build is a community of young black collectives, young, um, you know, collective of people of color who can show up authentically as them can storytell the way that they, they want to storytell. And why I think that's so important is because it affects the public, right? Public kind of only consumes what news outlets give them. And if they don't feel like they are genuinely being told the, their stories, that's a huge miss. That is a huge miss. And that's sort of how we get into the circle of 
when you miss certain stories, you miss the importance of certain communities, and then they miss out on, say, funding. They then miss out on, say, uh, you know, attention from uh, their elected officials. They then miss out on, you know, police presence if they need or what, like all these different resources we don't understand, but it's so intertwined. And I think news telling and storytelling is a huge part of that um, because it, it's the, it's the force of a spotlight, right? We just, we decide who we want a spotlight, who we don't want a spotlight. Could we imagine how fair and balanced and genuine um, the stories that we tell could be if we have diverse voices looking at them when we don't, that's what we get now. And that's why we're like, well, why aren't we talking about little Jamaican as much as we should be? Why aren't we talking about these issues um, when we're talking about our indigenous brothers and sisters? Why aren't we talking about them as much as we should be? It's because there is that, that spotlight that is lacking and it's unfortunate, but the news cycle essentially controls it. Tell us about a time when shame blurred your vision. Hmm. That's a good question. When is shame, shame of myself? Shame of a situation you were potentially in and you just felt ashamed and you were, you, it skewed how you just, your outlook. Yeah. Um, I, outside of work was, you know, when I was just sort of getting my life back and on track, I got into a very abusive relationship and um, almost died at the hands of this person. And I just remember kind of being in it and just feeling so ashamed to ask for help, but also just shame because I think through my experiences, I always put on that I was this, you know, strong, couldn't be shaken, couldn't be told what to do person. And I didn't feel as though that was who that person was. Um, in the relationship. And so I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was also scared. Um, and I never really honored that person. You know, I never honored that that was all okay. So even coming out of that relationship, I never would really talk about it openly, or I never would feel um, empowered enough to share the things that I had gone through, because I felt like it totally was against who I sort of was pretending to be or who, or the, the image that was sort of coming off about me. Um, and so shame for sure showed up in those ways. Um, but also in the workspace too, because, you know, listen, as I shared, I would have had the untraditional way of getting here by my schooling and education. Um, and I never would tell people like where, where I went to high school or what happened in high school, because I was afraid that they would look at me and say, Oh, she's not smart. Um, oh, she's, you know, this or she's that or she's falling into like different stereotypes when no, that was just my story. And that doesn't make me less smart. That doesn't make me less resilient. That doesn't make me less um, willing to do the work. Um, and so once you sort of start owning your stories, that helps give you power to take up more space, to go even harder. Um, and also it helps to let other people that look like you know that it is okay and I found a way and here is how. It is so important that we start sharing our tools and information with each other because that is how we collectively grow. And it's so true when you talk about the shame around sharing where you came from because a lot of students tend to feel that, you know what, because I come from a certain area, you know, people will look at me differently. And actually, mm. even as adults, you, you tend to think, you know, if I come from a certain area, I'm not seen the same. I'm looked at differently. 
So what is the biggest lesson now that you've learned about your ego? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, That my ego was in such a search of acceptance that it would almost lie about my story. And then when you sit in these moments of, you know, a pandemic or you're by yourself um, and you're trying to get to the root of Kayla, who are you? The answer comes back so quietly because in your mind, you have hid so much of your story just to feel accepted and loved and validated by people who frankly don't really care about you, that you forgot who you were, who you were, and you forgot that those roots actually make you who you are and they are so important. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I definitely relate with, you know, not wanting to share certain things about you, but you have to also understand those are, those are what make you, you. I don't think I would be standing here if I did not go through every single experience that I had gone through. And there's a little bit of shedding of ego um, that also wants you to be perfect, right? That also wants the story to be perfect. That wants you to, to kind of take on this narrative of being the ultimate hero's hero. And you have to let that go because no story is perfect. And, and that's what makes it so unique to you and so beautiful. And, you know, everyone has a closet. I say this all the time. Everyone. Everybody has a closet. Tired of being tired? Seeking to build your self-confidence? Are you feeling uncomfortable in your skin? It's time to move with Kim. Studies have shown that in this era of exponential growth of the metabolic syndrome and obesity, Lifestyle modifications have been proven to be one of the most effective ways to improve your health and quality of life. Let's chat about you, your goals, and how we will get you there. Send your inquiries to hello at kimniles.com and let's start conditioning your mental and physical health today. So taking a bit of a shift now, Kayla, what did you recognize in your life that you needed to change in the pandemic? Oh, so much. Uh, So much has changed. Uh, Who I give access to my energy. I was realizing that I was just letting everybody take, 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 take and not giving. Um, I was also realizing some of the relationships I was in. Um, whether it be friendships, romantic, whatever, um, they were coming from a space of an unhealed person. And I learned how important it was to make sure that I was fully whole, that I was fully good on my own, that I could fully um, be good sitting in my silence um, before relying on noise from other people. And that, you know, was huge. I just also discovered the importance of turning up the volume on the word no, saying no to things. Um, because. I think I saw something that my therapist actually put up and therapy was another thing that I, I learned of how important it was, um, was when you don't, when you, when you know, you don't want to do something. And I think a lot of us have that feeling of like, oh, I really don't want to do it. Say that, say you don't want to do it obviously politely, but just say no, because what happens is when you do it, you start doing it out of resentment and that's not going to help anybody. That's not going to help anyone at all. Great points. Great points. What did you learn that you could live without? during the pandemic? Oh, gosh, I feel like I'm in therapy, girl. Um, 
what can I live without? Ooh, that is good. That is good. That is good. I, on things without, things without, um, that don't make me feel fulfilled. Things that really like Tracy Ellis Ross says this thing about living a juicy life. If it don't make you feel like you're living a juicy life, leave it alone. If you're like, well, what the heck did I waste the five minutes on? Leave it alone. Um, engaging in things like gossip, leave that alone. Um, engaging with things that aren't building you forward, that aren't building your people forward, leave that alone. If it's not working to better better you, then what what is the point? One of the things for me was that all the extracurricular activities I get involved with, mm-hmm. you know, that are not necessary, but they yes. were just filler, time fillers, I call them. We get bored, don't we? We do. But then when you learn to sit with yourself more, then you yes. understand really what your values are, is what Absolutely. I've learned through the pandemic. And I mean, it was such a huge shift, especially for myself coming from being super busy predominantly in the gym industry. And then we got told everything has to close and you can't work and you have to figure out how to work at home on your own. And I think for most of us, we all believe that it was going to be a couple of months. They're like, ah, it's going to just be a couple of months. And here we are a year later and we're sitting here and we're like, okay, so this was real. I thought it was going to be a month to be honest with you. I was like, oh yeah, just a month. We'll be back. And then nope. And then you realize like, you know, with emails and now people are like, well, you're at home. So what, what else are you doing? You realize like, yeah, no, there's importance in like actually stepping away and taking some time for myself. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question. How do you find balance in all that you do? Oh my gosh, I don't. And I'm just learning it now. Um, I'm learning to, and it might not apply, but I'm also learning to kind of find different things that can help make my, my life a little bit easier. Um, so whether that be, you know, calendars or whether that be, you know, if I can't do something and listing and someone else to kind of do it, that can do it to an, to an exceptional pace and job. Um, that's sort of what I've been trying to find, but also like not being too hard on myself. Um, like as a mom, we have that thing called mom guilt where like, we feel like, especially for me, there were so many nights I wasn't tucking my son into bed and I'd feel terrible. I'd feel like I was a bad mom, but then also realizing, you know, later that my son's going to grow up and he's going to see a, what a hardworking mom kind of looks like. And, and, and that we can kind of create our own path to motherhood in our own way. Um, but then, you know, I have times where I meditate in the morning. Um, I, I have, uh, you know, something that tracks like how much exercise I'm getting. So I kind of hit the 30 minutes, at least a day to take that time for me and to shut off and do not disturb, do not disturb on my phone goes on for a period of time throughout the day as well. So I could just sort of take back my hours, but just little ways I'm still figuring it out, still figuring it out. Yeah, the balance is definitely an important key. And I mean, I think sometimes it's a bit overrated, especially as an entrepreneur. People will say, you know, how do you got to have balance? And it's like when you're working for yourself, it's very hard Mm -hmm. to find balance in that day. Kayla, tell us about a time when you felt like you should have been invited to the table and you weren't and how you've dealt with that. Yeah, I think... um there are certain things I can strongly say like, Oh, I was more than qualified to get this role or this job or whatever. Um, but people that have gotten chosen over me were friends of the friend or, you know, just like 
it's not even based on merit. That's politics. And I learned about politics real quick in our industry. Um, you know, it makes you feel like you're not good enough, like you're not wanted. Um, but then eventually I, you just have to adopt this mindset of like, what is for you will not miss you. Like truly what is for you will not miss you. There are so many times I've said, I've been told no, um, emails I've never got responded to, but I think I turned out pretty all right. Like, I think what happens is a lot of people's foods on their plate get cold when they get too caught up and and worrying about what other people are doing or what tables they're creating. And it's like, what table are you going to create for yourself and who are you going to invite in? I think that that's sort of like the shift in question and mindset for myself has been huge and important and kind of centering like, okay, so that didn't work out, but how can you make how can you make your lemonade out of the lemons that you've been given? Um, and I think nothing that I've done out of that frame of mind has failed me since knock on wood. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's silly to not admit that you don't feel a way when you are not invited into certain spaces or given that job or given that opportunity. Um, but I think when you get to a point where you're just like, you know what, I'm going to do something else and, and make it more tailored to me and my, my style. Because now when I think about it, that role might not have been as, as perfectly tailored for me anyways. What is your greatest fear? Ooh, greatest fear right now is this all, this, all this conversation and discussion and work being for naught um, or being short term. And then everyone forgets about it in a year from now. Um, for me, the goal is to kind of think about doing work now, especially like behind the scenes and, you know, through community work and how, trying to help diversify the media landscape, planning for when I'm not in the industry. And um, I think that that's important because you have to strip ego out of a lot of this work, um, because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to put this money towards this and I'm going to create this thing. And, you know, even though they're well-meaning, sometimes there's a little bit of ego in there that's searching for some sort of credit. And so when you're thinking of a plan that's 10, 15 years down the line, and you're not kind of prevalent in that space, I think to me, it helps strip out what that is, but also it's legacy work. That's what helps build legacy work is when you are not working on a reactive plan that lasts three to six months, you're working on a responsive plan that's five, 10, 15 years down the line. So I think one of my biggest fears is that momentum is lost. This conversation gets quieter and we go back to the same old. I share that sentiment. And with everything happening and that has happened over the last year, it has gotten quieter. Yeah, it, it has. has. Yeah, it, you could see the decline. And for me, I've always been about action. It's yep. like, what are we going to do? So we already know. We knew we had this problem before we had an event that was recorded. Because really, that's what really brought things to light, especially with the George Floyd situation, yep. is because it was fully recorded. It's been happening for years. We've been talking years. about it. Right. So I definitely share that sentiment with you. It's like, what are we going to do? What is the action plan? How can we join forces to actually make things happen? Yep. How do you set boundaries for yourself? Oh, going with my gut these days. And, you know, there's been obviously some opportunities that have come. Black History Month, I've been the busiest I've ever been. Interesting. Um, But setting the boundaries in a and saying no in asking, okay, cool. Can you tell me uh, how many BIPOC people or people of color do you have behind the scenes on this project? 
who, what does your executive suite look like? Like kind of setting the tone from that sense. Um, and then usually you start weeding out who you do and do not want to work with, who's about it and who's not about it. Um, other ways in which I've been setting boundaries is sort of, you know, um, with my time, setting timers on things, like literal timers on things. 15 minutes I'm going to spend thinking about this one thing or half an hour I'm going to spend planning this event or planning this initiative. Um, because to me, then it doesn't lap into what else you need to focus on, but it also doesn't lapse into the time that you need to spend in say, you know, for me with my son or this, or with myself. So setting those timers and sort of once the timer is done, just being kind of done with it until you want to revisit again has been a great tip and tool for me. How have you dealt with the fact of companies potentially reaching out to you as a media mogul, as a token to put on their branding? Yeah, I think that let's be real. That's uh, that's realistic. That's a realistic assessment, I think, for a lot of companies who are just trying to find a black person right now. Um, there's two folds. One, I can make money and uh, just be like, sure. Or um, I can make money, but also be like, so how are we doing things behind the scenes? And I'm realizing that there can be power in the money you negotiate for certain opportunities. There can be power in not agreeing to work with certain companies until there's promises um, that are made, whether it be, okay, sure, but there needs to be a promise that 15% of this room is going to look like this, or uh, a promise that if we shoot this campaign, everybody that you hire is going to be black from photographer to makeup to hair. There are ways in which you can use your power to help affect change in that way. Um, and so that is what I am learning and what I am trying to do with the position that I've been given. Um, but also being frank and, and uh, you know, you can ask certain companies that have worked with me. I'm not afraid to ask questions and to ask hard questions and to ask the whys of things. Because um, I think that companies need to see it. And it's not to shoot anybody's horn, but it feels like now some companies are more willing to hear it. Good for you for standing your ground and being bold enough to ask those questions, because unless those hard questions are asked, there will be no change. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think what we're seeing now is all the PSAs and the statements and yada, yada, yada. Like consumers aren't dumb. They know that a lot of these things aren't built with the intention of actually doing right by people. They're more so just built for the image and how it looks to people. Um, and so I think that that's, that's what, when we look back on this, we're going to have conversations about is who actually delivered on the tangible items that they put forth. As we begin to wrap up, Kayla, who would you say has had the biggest impression on who you've become today? My mom, still my mom, even though we've had our, our stuff, um, you know, she came to Canada when she was 14 years old. She went to George's Henry. Uh, the high school and just sort of seeing her work as hard as she had um, to make a better life for me um, as a single mom, as someone who kind of worked way up the ranks where she works now. I think that's just so dope and inspiring to me. Um, and it helps push me to be better because I think when, you know, I'm a first gen Canadian. So when your ancestors and your and you know my grandmother and my mom like when they come to this country uh, to make a better living for yourself, how do you not feel motivated to pass on that torch now to my son to make a better opportunity and living for him and 
to hopefully inspire him enough to make a better opportunity for his kids. Um, that's sort of who keeps me going. And that's why they have, my mom gives me, has the biggest impact on my life because seeing that firsthand and in real time, you can't help but be moved. Kayla, it's been such a blessing to sit and have this conversation with you today and for to see the passion in your eyes. They can't see this obviously on the podcast, but just to see the passion <laughs> from you and to feel your energy. I want to sincerely thank you for the work that you are doing and continue to do because we got a lot of work. We got a lot of work. And also thank you for all that you do for our communities as well. Like do not ever think that that goes unnoticed. Thank you so much. Final thought from you. What would your message be to your younger self? Ooh, don't date X, Y, Z. No. Um, final thought would be stay the course. Stay the course and show them who you are before they try to tell you who you are. I think that's what I would tell myself. Because there's going to be so many people that write your story for you, that try to tell you exactly how you're going to end up in this life. And that's exactly who you're not. Um, and so that I think is what I would tell, tell myself. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.